She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We will strive for bipartisanship. We believe that we have a responsibility to seek common ground where we can. There are many things we can get along on without a lot of trouble that we agree very much with them and they agree with us. I would like to see bipartisanship. I'd like to see unity. Everywhere you go, from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine, all you see in cities, cranes, buildings, uh, you know, factories, warehouses, apartment buildings, condos, it's the biggest construction boom in the United States history right now. Uh, and so Republicans haven't done a great job of selling and connecting the dots from this is our policies that have created this uh, incredible boom. America is a nation of believers, and together we are strengthened by the power of prayer. I'm going to ask us all to rise up and let us pray. As never before, our nation needs prayer. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. You know what? So excited. We are going to speak next segment to Paula White, spiritual advisor to President Trump, pastor of New Destiny Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. And uh, she's going to talk about Christians' impact on the elections. And this is important for us. We are um, really not doing all that we can do. And if you are doing all that you can do, meaning you're voting, you're praying, you're, you're, uh, you're working on your Christian worldview, you know, amen to that. And I'm so grateful for that. But there are plenty of us who are not. And we need to, it's, it's a process. We don't get, no one gets anywhere instantly except in the movies on Star Trek where they transport and one second they're there and the next second they're in the place where they're going. In real life, it takes time to get from point A to point B, and it's a continual effort. You're either sliding backwards or you're moving forward. It's kind of hard to just stay still. And so we want to do more. And so it's going to be great to talk to um, Pastor Paula White about the impact we can have on elections. And we can have more of an impact. Uh, I, I know I've, I've got friends texting me and sending me notes about the, this, this story. Arizona election officials are scrambling to confirm ballot signatures. They're calling people in because mail ballots were dumped at polling places and the signatures don't match the signatures on record. Of course, they're all votes for the Democrats, the, the ones that are they're having trouble validating. Now, why is this happening? They've already called the House for the Democrats and now they're scrambling to actually make it happen? Well, you tell me. You tell me. I, I, I mean, I, I, in my mind, it sounds to me like uh, some rigged election, you know, it, the... We're always getting accused of voter suppression on the right, but on the left, there's cheating. That's what I see going on. It looks like cheating. It sounds like cheating. It smells like cheating. Probably is cheating, right? So, you know, we got to pray and, and pray for justice and for honest people to be in charge of these things and for there to be prosecutions and people brought to justice for subverting our electoral processes. Because, I, I, look, if... Democrats win legitimately. They won. They ran their people. They, you know, dominated the media. They've used all of their, their, the gifts that they've been given and they won. What you going to do next time, have a better message next time, knock more doors next time, spend more time talking about and participating in the things that are going to make a difference in the election. That's all you can do. But if you're seeing all of these boxes getting dumped at polling places, well, that doesn't sound to me like those are election Th those are from this election. Does that sound to you like they're from this election if the boxes are dumped out back of the polling place? Well, how'd they get outside in the first place? Why are they dumped after the polls are closed 
That means they came from outside the polling place. How are those legitimate votes? The signatures don't match. What, what's the question here? They're not legitimate votes. So anyway, now I want to listen to, you know, Washington Free Beacon does these little, their video clips. They put them on YouTube and on their website and they call them beast mode where you hear the guy come on. He makes the announcement about beast mode. We haven't had one on the show in quite a while. Like, I mean, months and months and months. Well, they have this beast mode video where Mitch McConnell, um, Senator Mitch McConnell says that Republicans will keep confirming as many judges as possible. I just talked about the impact of that during last last hour. And I, I'll tell you what. I think everyone understands how consequential this is. Even some in the media who aren't friendly to Republicans are talking about the the difference that's being made here. Strategy wise. It's chess, not checkers, that the president chose the Senate instead of trying to win the House. He, he, he knew there was a danger he would lose the House. It is the typical, you know, kind of boomerang effect in elections. When one party's elected to the White House, they usually suffer in the midterms because people are like, well, I wanted this or I didn't want that or I like this or I don't like that. And so people come out and whichever party loses the White House is usually pretty motivated for the midterms. But this wasn't the route we were expecting. We were told to, to expect a, a blue wave, and we didn't get it. So here we are. He's got uh, Senator Mitch McConnell talking about the Republicans keeping and confirming that they're going to confirm as many judges as possible. It's going to be a judge train. It's number two. Peace mode. Three, two, one. Uh, the president, I think, has done an excellent job in picking young men and women who believe the job of the judge is to follow the law. And we intend to keep confirming as many as we possibly can for as long as we're in a position to do it. (laughs) I love it when they do those. I love it. Um, I don't know if I put it on Facebook. I'll put it up there so you can watch it. If you want to watch, they have this bear that's like ravaging around and then there's a little explosion and there's fire and it's just super fun. I mean, if that's the kind of fun you like to have, political fun. You might have a real life where you actually watch football or something like that or, you know, and good for you. I just, I don't. So <laughs> let's go to the phones. Jacob, thank you for calling the show today. Um, what's your comment? Okay. How, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Um, the thing, you, you, you mentioned some good stuff, I'll tell you, because, you know, my, my journey has been um, actually from, uh, from uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan to being a born-again Christian, uh, a missionary, and a Republican. Wow. So it's been quite, yes, yeah, I, I could write three books easily. And <laughs> it shows you the power of God. And one thing that makes me laugh when you said it on the last segment is that, you know, yeah, it's the white man. He got all the money. You know what, you know, anyone, you know, you know he's paying out. It makes me laugh in a different kind of way, very deeply, because you see how deceived people truly are. I mean, all, I mean, you look at deception in the dictionary, you see people's, those kind of people's uh, picture, it's just really, it's, you have to laugh like you laugh at a little child, because they truly believe it. They make a white folks God. And it's like, I mean, you just put yourself down tremendously more than anybody else could, and they don't really see it. No. I think that a place where I was down to no money at Checkers, getting ready to have my last meal. 
a guy I, I end up um, become uh, close to in a fellowship with, he used to steal cars. He called me up and right after I got that last last bill. He said, Joseph, I want to stop, start a pop-a-lot business. Can you help me? Uh, we're going to use your cars for me to take, take around. I'll pay you. And from then, it's been all the way up. Mm. See, this is what I'm talking about. This this is the kind of story that if, mm-hmm. if you're listening and you're in a rough patch, this is for you. He, Jacob is talking to you because you're talking about coming from a place where, and I, I think the people who follow the minister, Farrakhan, they're, they're not all bad people. It's just they've just been deceived by his words. And when you break free from that, all of a sudden, it's just like you said, you you have a friend who calls and says, let's do this together. Let's let's make something happen. And all of a sudden, everything's different. It took time. I know y'all had to work really hard, but it took it. You did something with yourself. You said, I'm doing something else. And then you did it. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing journey. And it's well worth every second of it, because when you look back, it's like you almost lose your mind praising God. I love it. I love it. Thank you for calling and telling us about that, Jacob. Um, your story is one of, it's it's encouraging. It's one that we we need to hear it and we need to focus on that and focus on those encouraging moments so we can propel ourselves forward because it, it, we really have to make the decision ourselves as you did. We have to decide we're going to be different and we're going to go in a different direction. Thank you so much for the call. Yeah, I I, I get to a place where I'm just like, you know, if you stop for a second and think back to where you were, let's say, you know, let's say you just just think back where you were five years ago. And if you're having trouble remembering, because at first you're like five years ago, OK, where was I really? It takes a minute to like go back in your mind. Where where were we living here? Where where were what where was I working? Uh, what were my main concerns back then? It's the primary reason I started keeping a prayer journal, because I couldn't keep those details together. And so in my prayer journal, I put down what I'm praying for. Sometimes I write the actual prayers out. And I also put reflections in there from just the frustrations and what I'm, I'm hoping God will do. And then what you can do is you can flip back and you can say, what, what was I praying for? And in the front, it just has a list of things, just specific items that I'm praying for, people that I'm praying for. And all along the back of the inside of the cover of this journal, and we're talking about a journal that costs less than five bucks at any store that you go to. You just get it, nil notepad, whatever. And you start writing in there. And I tell you what, keeping track, like the lady said in the movie War Room, uh, when you keep track, it gives you such a huge look into how God has moved circumstances. You can see where someone that's in your life that you were kind of like, oh my goodness, why is this person that God uses that person, that your relationship with that person to facilitate growth or to facilitate you starting something new, ending something, moving certain people out of your life where you, th- these are people you never thought you'd ever be without. And then you are, and you think, well, it's the end of everything. And, and it's not, it's just the beginning of something new. I can't stress it enough. We, we need to have an attitude of gratitude for what God is doing in our lives because there's so much more that he wants to do and he will do. We got to get in cooperative mode. Stop the stinking thinking. Stop putting this, this, stop allowing people to talk to you and tell you that you are this victim and that victim and you don't know, you can't do, no, no, no. Don't receive it. No, thank you. I've had people tell me, well, your kids are going to be this. Since you hate this, your kids are going to be that. I'll, I'll write it right down on social media. I do not receive that. Your curses do not work here. You can't say bad things about my kids and expect them to come true. They're covered 
by the blood of the lamb. These are God's kids. He gave them to me for a time. You don't have any power here. No one can have that power over you unless you give it to them. You have to literally lay down your own power and say, I receive what you say about me. Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris, Oprah, you know, whoever is down talking you and making you Joe Biden. They're going to put you back in chains in America. You think somebody's going to put you in chains? Go out, take your driver's license with you, go to Walmart, purchase a firearms, take it straight from the Walmart over to the range, show them the firearm that you've purchased and say, I'd like you to show me how to use this. They'll take you right out on the range. They'll let you buy some of the cheap range ammo. They'll help you put 250 rounds through it and they will make appointments with you to come back. These people do this for free. You don't have to pay anyone to train you on a firearm. You can literally go to the range with your new gun, ask them to train you on it. They will train you on the gun that first day. You can go back there for an hour a day, every day. And the next time someone says they're going to put you back in chains, you can say, no, you ain't. (laughs) Nobody's putting me in chains. I'm an American citizen and I have the right. It's a God-given right enshrined in the constitution. My, My constitution protects my right to defend myself. So there will be no chains here. That's what you can do. Now, that sounds like a lot of work, but that's what being responsible for yourself entails. Lots of work. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun to be responsible for yourself and to ultimately know that there's only one being that you have to submit yourself to utterly in order to be in the right. And that's God. And for us women, also our husbands. So you, 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 got, you, you have a lot of room there. You have a lot of room for your self-governance. Ultimately, it's your choice to lay that power down. You either believe other people can control you and make, all, make your life a living hell or you don't. Pick. Make, make your choice. Whether you are listening to me and you believe what I'm saying or not, you've already made your decision. You already either believe the naysayers or you don't. If you already believe them, you can just decide you don't and start on a different path. It's just that easy. So now I want to get into, oh my goodness, so much. I have so many, I have, you should see this stack I have here on my desk for, uh, for topics for the show today. I want to first, we, we mentioned this yesterday. What do I hear? Do I hear music? Okay. So we will get to this, but we'll have to do it in the third segment because right now we're going to have Paula White, spiritual advisor to president Trump, pastor of new destiny Christian center in Apopka, Florida. Pastor Paula White's going to be with us after this. I am so excited. Stay right there. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, our tours each year fill up quickly. And so I'm letting you know now, uh, don't tell anybody else now, that the uh, 2019 Spiritual Heritage Tours are planned for June and for September. So if you want to go this year, that is 2019, you need to let us know as soon as you can. Visit the website spiritualheritagetours.com spiritualheritagetours.com again those are two separate trips one to Williamsburg, Jamestown and Yorktown and the other one to Washington D.C. and George Washington's Mount Vernon. Stephen McDowell who's the president and founder of the Providence Foundation is our historian and he'll be on both trips 
telling us the behind the scenes and the stories of who, what, when, and why. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Congress has lots of unfinished business. One important item is prison and sentencing reform. The House of Representatives has already passed the First Step Act. It is time for the Senate to do the same. Recently, I had Rebecca Heglin on Point of View Radio Talk Show to talk about her commentary on our failing prisons and faulty war on drugs. A few months ago, I had Star Parker on to talk about the same legislation. These women will admit that they have been known as being tough on crime, but both of them also realize locking up parents of kids for years for nonviolent drug offenses is doing more damage to society than good. Our current federal laws require mandatory sentences for nonviolent drug offenses. Often the people we throw into prison for two decades are low-level dealers, not drug kingpins, who we really need to get off the streets. Sadly, they receive little or no vocational training and little in the way of drug rehabilitation. No wonder the recidivism rate in America is so high. President Trump has made this issue one of his most important issues. Jared Kushner has been given the responsibility to push the legislation forward. It passed the House of Representatives back in May with overwhelming bipartisan support. And when it reached the Senate Judiciary Committee, senators added some modest common sense sentencing reform initiatives. To those who say that this is merely an attempt to be weak on crime, Rebecca Haglund has a response. A very small percentage of arrests for drug distribution involve major drug traffickers. Most of the arrests are for small-time, nonviolent offenders. Many of them are addicts who turn to selling drugs to support their habit. Warehousing them in prison for years at taxpayer expense makes little sense. That's why it's time for the Senate to vote on this sensible piece of legislation. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From GraceWorks Pictures, Indivisible, based on the true story of Army Chaplain Darren Turner and his wife Heather. Rated PG-13. Now playing IndivisibleMovie.com. You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Ooh, welcome back show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm I'm totally pumped about um, the prospect of watching the president kind of walk through. Um, remember that there is a roadmap for this. It's, president Trump's not the first president to have the midterm flip and have, you know, the divided government lose the House of Representatives. It's, it's not like it's never happened before. And as we've seen him be very creative in his solutions on trade and tariffs and different negotiations uh, such as the Paris Climate Accord ending that his genius in negotiating with uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea stopping the missile test stopping the the visible threats to our allies in that portion of the world there have been really uh, not enough credit has been given to the president for his creative handling of those problems and this isn't to say that I've loved everything that he's done uh, or everything that he's said but when when you see someone who's constantly working and trying just just putting their best effort out there to do what they said they were going to do and they never get any credit for it but they always get the smacks you know because i'm all about giving the smacks out when you don't do what i you are you doing stuff you said you wouldn't do or are you not doing what you said you were going to do oh you're going to get some smacks from over here delivered in love but you're going to get them but when you're not getting any credit have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you're working your buns off and you're not getting any credit? Um, and I'm, I'm certainly not talking about myself. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, have you ever? I, I think 
um, we can all commiserate with that feeling when you know you, you're thinking to yourself, I'm this, I, I think I might be doing a good job here. And then you realize, yeah, but nobody's looking. So, you know, no one's going to give you any credit for that. So just keep working because you, you're getting any credit for that. That is not a good place to be. Yet we see him continuing on because he's on a mission. So I'm excited about uh, speaking to our next guest. We have Paula White, spiritual advisor to President Donald J. Trump. She's also the pastor of New Destiny Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. Pastor White, thank you for joining us today. Stacey, it is wonderful to be with you. I hope you're having a great day, and I'm loving listening to you. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm, I, so when I saw you on the, the, the calendar, I was like, what? This is going to be awesome. So first of all, because I, I want you to dispel a myth for us that it, it, it goes around and I don't know so much that my listening audience has a problem with it, but I do want it on the record here on the show. A lot of people say that the president only adopted a more Christian aspect because he wanted to appeal to evangelical voters. I tend to believe that over time he's experiencing a heart change and that the evidence of that is that he speaks so openly about Christianity and God and the influence that, that God has on his life. What What is your take on where he is right now as a Christian? Well, first off, the first part of your statement could not be further than true, that uh, people who we would say he just recently adopted becoming mm-hmm. a Christian or, or because he wanted the evangelical vote. Uh, the second part of your statement, and I'll go back to that, is true, that I see him growing deeper in the things of God. And um, I can only imagine the weight that is upon him every day, and he knows how deep his faith is. And so let's take take this way back. I've been a part of his life and the family's life for 18 years. 18 years ago, I'm sitting in my office, and my secretary says, Mr. Trump's on the line. And, you know, I I think if I would have been watching The Apprentice or, you know, we would have been on, I would have gone, you're fired. (laughs) Like, Sure. And they said, no, 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 Pastor Paula, for real, Mr. Trump's on the line. You know, I'm thinking they're pulling my leg and, and kind of joking around with me. And so finally, after keeping on, on hold for a while, I pick up, he said, hello, Pastor Paula. He said, you're fantastic. You have the it fact. And I said, well, sir, we call that the anointing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, uh, he started repeating back to me verbatim, Stacey. Um, he'd listened to three of my sermons on value of vision. And honestly, I'm really quite impressed because I'm thinking that, you know, as a pastor who's now been in ministry for 34 years, I'm thinking he listens better than most of my congregation. (laughs) And he not only repeated that, but we continued in conversation. He told me how he grew up in church and how he was confirmed Presbyterian and how he went to church every single Sunday with Norman Hills Church and he told me some of the stories that impacted his life and, and the sermons, and he could, again, think that were so dear to him. And I began to understand that his mother was a very strong Christian and praying woman, and we just talked about the things of God, and he said, are you ever up in New York? I said, well, I actually am. I'm doing a Bible study for New York Yankees, and and so he said, I'd, I'd love to meet you if you're ever in town. And so, of course, that eventually happened, but I didn't just get to know him. I got to know his family, Ivanka, now, of course, Jared, and Eric, now, of course, Laura, Don Jr. I got to know Melania. I got to know uh, his staff, whether it was Ron or Keith or whoever. And 
And the relationship really was one, and I never want to minimize because his foundation of faith has always been very strong to him. He's always been a Christian. And people might want to look and judge, but, you know, and say, well, what about this point in his life, or what's that? And I think we all have those moments in our life, and that's the story of the completion, completion of uh, the cross and redemption, and that God wanted a family, and the finished work of Jesus Christ and His grace extended in our life. And I never minimize his roots, because he came from a very strong Christian home and has a very solid foundation of faith in his life. But for me, and I can only speak on my behalf, God, I felt, spoke to me, obviously, not in an audible voice that said, show him who I am. Mm. Well, little did I ever think that that would lead to, you know, one day he was going to be president. And I, it was just sincerely an assignment from God. And so this has been going on a long time, and, and it wasn't like people will see an image or pictures of us praying in the White House or, you know, him authentically saying, we don't worship government, we worship God. Even the news conference yesterday, yeah, you yeah. know, talking about how dear his faith was to him. And I could literally tell you a thousand stories uh, about him um, and his walk with God. And he has been saved, and, you know, this, and he has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, you know, I, I think you are right and accurate in this, that, that um, there are some things in life. He's also a very successful or has been a very successful businessman and pretty much anything he put his hand to. He said, and I'm kind of parroting what he said, he said, you know, I I never, he would say, I, I never really had problems and stuff, so he was always successful in life. Uh, and, you know, we look at the presidents, former presidents that have gone in office, most of them by two years in office, look like they've aged 10 years or you know, and I can't imagine that kind of weight on you. You know, thinking about sincerely, that mantle carries a lot of responsibility. And it our president, with that weight, what you just said, I've witnessed personally over 18 years of growth of God, but especially in the last several years. And I can tell you, in 2011, he called me and he said, Paul, will you bring some pastors around to pray? I'm thinking about um, running for president, and, and I really want to know what God has to say and really want to hear the voice of God. We prayed for six hours. And, I, and you know, think about I'm a businessman with you for six hours praying. Now, there are pastors I know that barely pray 60 minutes. Mm. And the next day, he um, went back in the office. He said, well, what, what do you feel God's saying? He had to make a real strategic decision at that time. And I said, I, I don't know if it's the right timing yet right now. And he said, I, I agree. And he said, please keep praying. And, and he did. Mm. And one thing led to another. And, you know, he has leaned and kind of been in that position, whether it was pray for my children or pray for this or, you know, doing Bible studies there. Um, that, that was very, and has continued to be very normal. And um, so... For me, it's been a different perspective because I haven't, you know, I'm not looking at the persona or just what, the, you know, and I will say fake news media because I've mm -hmm. been in places and I've been like just shocked at what I've experienced sitting with them privately or in a rally or in an event or in a situation and then what I've watched on TV. I'm kind of like, excuse me, you know, it's, it's 
crazy. So you are right. Um, but he has had space for a very long time, and maybe he's not out there like some people thumping the Bible. And I, you know, I say he doesn't know Christianese like some people do, and and um, he's in a different world now politically. And but I can tell you that his walk with God is very real, very authentic, and very meaningful to him. Well, I, I'm glad that you are, are here today to explain that and to talk about that. And I'm, I actually have been from day one uh, that he announced his presidency, and I was looking at him as he's one of the ones in the primary. Um, I, I've been a fan of his Apprentice show, so I watched all of the original Apprentice shows. Back then, our kids were small, and my husband and I only had like one TV show a week that we watched, and that was it. And we would we would watch it and we would laugh and giggle because, you know, he every night he would fire someone. And so that's those were my experiences with, you know, Donald Trump. I knew he was a real estate mogul from, you know, from New York, all of that. So when he just he said he was going to run for the presidency, I went back to YouTube and I watched a bunch of videos over the time that he was go to the city council in New York. He'd go to different uh, 60 Minutes. All these people had interviewed him and gotten his opinions on a wide range of subjects like North Korea and our foreign policy in the Middle East. And I was surprised by how well versed he was. I also knew of, you know, his, his marriages and things like that. And I really wasn't concerned so much with his personal life as I was with if he decides to run for president, what will he be like? And he seemed, although he's right. you know given money to both parties, he's been uh, very, very much as towards success as opposed to being al- aligned with one party. And then, of course, they announced that you were his spiritual advisor. And I've seen some news stories where you kind of have explained that the relationship didn't just blossom because he was running for the presidency. But I've also heard some really negative things about the fact that he couldn't possibly be a Christian. He couldn't possibly, you know, and and I just know that not to be true, that we don't actually know what a person's faith walk is. We can judge by the fruit, but we don't know unless we actually know that person and we hear from their own mouth. And I just, there's been so many times, Pastor Paula, like on Inauguration Day, how many times in this country have we seen from the steps of the halls of power, that kind of preaching and teaching and uplifting of the name of God and of Jesus Christ, how many times have we seen that emanating from the presidency? It's not been often. Never. It's never. Five people stood there, and I think this is such a statement to our president, um, and invoke the name of Jesus Christ over our nation. And those of us who are believers understand the power of that. Mm-hmm. He also had an amazing man of God, a rabbi, Rabbi Hire, who's this incredible man. Um, he is he is a person that um, he understood that our nation needed healing. And if you look, he, I, I will never forget after he won, I walked into his office and said, Paul, you're going to pray. Um and I just looked at him like he said, I want you to pray the inauguration. I was like, I was incredibly honored. And and we begin to discuss the details and what what needs to happen in our nation. And um, he wanted a Hispanic. He wanted a, a true evangelical. Uh, he wanted a woman. He wanted an African-American. He wanted a Catholic priest. And he wanted a rabbi. And he wanted to say, like, these are our Judeo-Christian roots that this nation was founded upon and the importance of that. And he knew the importance of covering not just his presidency and the inauguration, but this nation with prayer. 
And over and over again, he's, he's um, I mean, I can tell you about meetings that we've had, and the, one of the greatest things that he says, he gets to shake hands, and his family says all the time the people around the country that say, Sir, I'm praying for you, mm-hmm. and how much that means. I mean, I was with him. I don't know if I, I should kind of share this, but I was with him the other night. Um, I was at the White House with him for the election the other night, and with Flotus and First Family, and it is that just handful of family and friends, about maybe 50, 60 of us or so. And um, my husband and I were there, and, and there was a, a moment that, you know, they were going through the states, and there was a person, and, you know, different people were given different, you know, thanks to different situations. And one person uh, talked about God and, and talked about their, you know, kind of reference seven and stuff, and he just looked at me, and he, he like, nudged me, and Vice President was sitting next to him, and he went, I didn't know, he said, and they're just like, he's like, man, that's awesome, you know, like, <laughs> people, I think they'd be very surprised, uh, again, like, I'm reminded of when it went viral, the picture of us praying in a law office over my mm-hmm. and there's something crazy or mysterious or spooky is happening, but that's something that happens all the time. He called me up before he goes to pray at U.S. R.N.C. And um, my husband and I were staying on the floor underneath him where the kids were, you know, et cetera. And uh, he called into one at the time and he said, that, where, where's Paula? You know, and so I went up and the Lord had spoke to me that morning. And I went in and I'd been kind of walked away and I was fasting and praying. Well, we went up before that night and I, I don't know what if it was, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes and they're praying over him. First Lady and Baron, et cetera. And um, so, again, this is a man that loves prayer. This is a man that requests prayer. This is a man that is very familiar with prayer. Um, it, it's just, I, I think it's, it kind of surprises me how surprised people are, and maybe that's because for 18 years I've been in the bowels and the inner sanctum of their life and seen, you know, his true love for God and his kingdom-minded uh, way of thinking. And, and I remind people, of course, he's from New York. He's got uh, grit. He's strong. He's a courageous leader. Uh, I tell them, look at his policy. Like you said, um, he's leaning towards righteousness, the decisions he makes. Well, Pastor Paula, thank you so much for coming on today. And I just want to, please, when you speak to him next, let him know. Stacy on the right and this listening audience at American Family Radio, we're praying for him too. We thank you so much for your time today and for coming on and um, sharing just a bit of your heart. Thank you so much, Pastor Paula. We'll be back with more after this. Stay there. it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. I used to get questions from people all the time about how I could justify working in the football world and being a Christian. It's such a violent game. What about all that bad language? How can you justify playing games on Sunday? Without a doubt, spending time in a locker room or on a football field definitely has its moments of being in the world. But I've also come to realize that God can only use us in the world if, in fact, we are in the world. The tension that may arise there requires godly wisdom and the Holy Spirit's leading. Stay close to God. 
and let his wisdom and leading guide you. New York Times bestselling author, Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. This is Marnita from The Marnita Show with Parenting Points. Ready for promotion or not? As children grow and develop, be careful not to reward them with the blessing before they are mature enough to handle it. When they are ready for the next level in life, they will exhibit behavior that is indicative of next level living. For example, you don't go to college until you finish high school, right? Children want to test the waters of their next level before they can actually manage it. They don't know that they're not ready. When they ask for their car on Saturday night, but don't normally follow your clear, simple instructions, you can reasonably assume they have a plan B. Instead of bailing them out of trouble, wait until their behavior warrants a promotion. Be the rock that's not movable by their emotions. For more parenting, tune in to The Marnita Show, right here on your favorite station. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. It won't be long until the House, the Senate, and President Trump may be battling over border wall funding, effort to avoid a partial government shutdown in December. Nobody quite knows what this skirmish will look like, and no one knows who will be the leaders of the Democratic and Republican parties in the House until late November or even December. Granted, it's the current Congress which needs to address the spending questions in the lame duck session before the new Congress is seated in January. But that's why everything's up in the air. House Speaker Paul Ryan insists there will be a fight over the border wall funding, but Ryan's out the door as Speaker at 11.59 a.m. on January 3rd. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell downplays the chances of a shutdown. Congress must also approve what's expected to be tens of billions of dollars in disaster aid to help relieve communities flattened by Hurricanes Florence and Michael. In fact, it's possible the need for extra hurricane assistance could make it easier to address the border wall in the next round of horse trading. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Uh, you would. These are interesting times that we are in. Um, uh, Rod Rosenstein, um, I was ready to question him. I had 37 pages worth of questions for him, Brett, a couple of weeks ago. Um, of course, he is uh, alleged to have uh, wanted to invoke the 25th Amendment and question the president's fitness for office. So I'm not sure that would have been the right um, pick, but he is overseeing the Mueller probe right now. I don't think anything's going to happen to Rod until after Mueller finishes his investigation. And then what happens after that will be between the president and Rod. Uh, that was Trey Gowdy. And he's talking about Rod Rosenstein, who it looks like he's going to get away with not having to testify about his comments about recording the president and all of that. So I want to address something that I've seen a couple times on online social media about the program. People saying that uh, I'm a huge cheerleader for the president. The, the, it's a bunch of cheerleaders for the president here on the show. And if you only listen to the last you know, couple hours of the programming, then you probably think, oh, uh, yeah, she only says nice things. But I have criticized the president on this program, and I probably will again. And uh, I also think maybe the reason why you're so triggered by it, if if it's a problem for you, is because you have actually been listening to CNN too much. And so you're so used to hearing people tear him down that the sound of someone saying something nice about him has you, you're literally, your blood pressure's going up. And if that's the case, you know, bless your little old heart. I'm so sorry for you. Like, I'm, I'm sad for you. 
not permanently, but I feel a little bit of sadness for you in this moment. And I'm sure it'll pass. Like it's gone already. I don't feel sad for you anymore. Let's go to the phones. Kevin in Ohio. Thank you for calling the show today. Hello. You got a card or anything in the mail? Hi. Welcome to Stacy on the right. Okay. I think we maybe don't have that person. So um, one of the things that I think is interesting about Trey Gowdy talking about Rosenstein and the investigation is, first of all, you guys might have seen that the chief of staff for Jeff Sessions is actually his interim replacement. And of course, the Democrats are now, you know, talking about rules. It can't be this person. It can't be someone who's not confirmed. Yeah, you know what? Yada, yada, yada. Malarkey, malarkey, malarkey. Thanks for playing this game. We're not, we're not here for it. Um, one of the things I think is, is, is going to be pretty evident is this. He's already made a statement. His name's Whitaker. He's not recusing himself. So he's not going away. He's not going to turn away from the, the debacle that is the Mueller investigation. Now, We've already had, I believe it was Chuck Schumer out already talking about how the Mueller investigation is really important and we need to protect it and see it all the way through. Well, of course we do, Chuck. Oh, it, there's nobody over here on the right saying we need to uh, end it prematurely. We just want to see what the report says. You can't investigate the president the entire time he's in office about Russian collusion. You have to bring it to a close at some point. So what's the report? What does the report say? The other thing I think it, that's fascinating is that we have, and, and obviously we're, we're hoping and praying for uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg to recover. She fell in her office last night and broke a couple of her ribs. She's 85 years old. And I am not one of those people who is going to engage in a whole lot of, you know, nasty comments about this woman. Ribs, when you, when you break or fracture or crack your ribs, it is extraordinarily painful. It's even worse when you're elderly and, you know, her mobility has been affected. And so we're hoping and praying that she will make a full recovery. Um, and, you know, so discussions surrounding that should really be just that's what's happened and that's it. Now, I think the other part of what we're going to see happen is obviously the Democrats have already had one of them went on television the other night and said, oh, you know, we're we're going to investigate Donald Trump. And we're going to get his tax returns. Now, I've already said I have zero interest in seeing the president's tax returns because he submits on a yearly basis the 100 page financial disclosure, which is much more in-depth and telling than his uh, tax returns. But if the Democrats want to go that way. There are other documents that the American people would like to see. American people deserve to see the chain of command and chain of documents, everything pertaining to the conclusion of the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. Yes, I'm still on that. Don't get triggered. I'm on that still, and so are millions of other Americans. We also would love to see the chain of communication surrounding the FISA application and approval for the tapping of Trump Tower. Who asked for what, when, unredacted, declassified documents telling the American people how our taxpayer funds and our employees, those career professionals in the Department of Justice and Federal Bureau of Investigations, went about jerry-rigging a opposition research document to procure a FISA, you know, FISA warrant to tap Trump Tower and to listen in on Trump associates. Also, 
the corresponding emails instead of piecemealing it out to us so we can't see a clear picture. How about you dump all of it on us at the same time and put it all together in order so we can see how they were texting about stopping him while they were working on stopping him, while they were applying for the FISA application, while Hillary Clinton's campaign was paying for the Oppo research document, while they were leaking it to the media, while it was being used, that media story was being used to validate the actual original piece of reporting that brought it to the newspaper, and that was taken to the FISA court, and then they got that approved. You see? So, I mean, if, if we're going to have investigations, whoopee, I'm, I'm here for it. Let's have some investigations. Let's, let's look into uh, the Kavanaugh hearings. We already have two people, uh, three people, I believe, who've been referred to the Department of Justice for investigation for submitting false statements to the Senate Judiciary Committee about then-Judge Kavanaugh's behavior from 1982. They lied. They did so to stop him from being confirmed. So if Democrats have already said they want to impeach Kavanaugh, I would also like to see some impeachments on the side of people who brought the, the false information. If you're serving in government and, um, you know, you're in a position where you could be impeached, then you probably should be up for impeachment if you participated in that debacle. For every action, there is an equal reaction. And that is what the president was alluding to yesterday in his speech when he said, if you want us to take a wartime posture, then launch your investigations and we'll launch ours. Remember, investigative powers that are currently uh, loaded into the House, often those investigations are moved into the Senate because the Senate has the investigatory powers and they have the oversight over the investigatory agencies. So, I mean, if the House wants to launch a bunch of investigations, you know, let's just have a party. Let's have one of those, you know, you've heard of these things are called progressive parties where the party starts at one person's house and then, you know, so you have appetizers at one person's house or sometimes it's just drinks, you know, and then you go to the next person's house and you have the appetizers and you go to the next person's house and you have, um, you know, the first course or the meal and then you go to another person's house for dessert and then another person's house for cocktails. I mean, that's an extended one, but that's what a progressive party is about. So if the progressives want to have a party, if y'all want to have an investigative party, then we can start it in the House and we can end it in the Senate, which the Republicans control. We can end it in the place where really all of the oversight is housed. Um, and while we're doing all that, we can release the documents unredacted. The American people can read all about your malfeasance and then we can start lopping off, you know, not literally, but figuratively lopping off these heads of these agencies that, involved, that were involved in this wrongdoing. We know there's been wrongdoing. We know there's a swamp. We can smell the stench. We see the rats running. We know everything's going on. The question is, you know, is that the party you want to have? Because we're ready for it. We're here for it. We're here for your investigative party. Scratch a scandal, find a Democrat. We're here for you. We want to investigate you. The American people want to see what you did. We want to know what you did. And we want you to be punished for it. We don't want you to continue to run around with your fingers in the air, talk about how you're above the law and you're going to save America. How about you just try to save yourself? Let's get some investigations going. Giddy up. I'm here for it. Or you can let the president do what he is there to do. He was duly elected to do. We want him to do it. And that is for him to write this ship. So, you know, the only other major thing that I think we may be lacking just a bit is that I don't feel like the Republicans have really got their messaging down. As much as I love talking about uh, the tax cuts and, you know, jobs and the economy, there are a lot of Americans who don't pay, I mean, hardly anything in tax. And so they don't care about tax cuts. 
and they really want someone else to pay for their health insurance. They want the government to do it, even though they don't trust the government, even though they think the, the government is full of enforcers and people who uh, want to do police brutality. They also believe in the same brain that the government should be in charge of their health care because the people who are beating them down and keeping them from living their lives through the police force are the same ones they want, you know, people related to them in charge of their health insurance. I, for one, don't want that. I, I don't want the government in charge of my health insurance. It, it's hard enough to get anything done without having the added layers of bureaucracy and people who just don't care, who'd rather see you die, honestly, so they don't have to type your name into a computer and do any work. I don't want those people in charge of my health insurance. But in order for us to make Americans understand what government-run health insurance looks like, we need some we need some communications on that. We need some of these fantastic agencies or they're not agencies they're private organizations 501c3s and all of the different parts of the republican apparatus to get together and make some commercials about what government-run health care really is all of you documentarians out there we need some documentaries about what government-run health care really is what we need is the private sector. We, we need more of the kinds of things that the president has actually signed into to law that no one's talking about, where he, the, he did the association health plans. He now has made it possible for people to get into groups with others in their profession and create associations and buy health insurance that way, which means your health insurance rates and premiums in the actuarial table is based on everyone who's in your actual association. So you could actually get really great rates or your rates might be a little higher, but they'll never be higher than Obamacare. You'll, the, the savings are immeasurable. And we also need more people to look at and consider MediShare. MediShare, that's the Christian grouping together. It's a Christian uh, association of people who are paying for each other's medical care bills and it provides you the opportunity not to ever have to fund things like abortion or contraception or anything else that you're interested in, in staying away from. So we need more and better messaging on these things if we want to win. Because what the Democrats are doing is, and we just discussed this, but I want to reencapsulate it for you. The Democrats have a captive audience of people who truly believe that the only way to get anything that they want is to get the government to take it from someone else and give it to them. And that's you and that's me that they want to take stuff from. And, and I'll just speak for myself here. I didn't get to this place in my life to want to give away anything that I've earned against my will at the force of government when I was, I was those people. Remember, I've told you guys many times I was a Democrat once before. When I was a Democrat, I wasn't so much interested in raising taxes and stuff like that. I've always been low tax. But I did think that the government could equalize things. I know better now. You don't want the government to be the equalizer. Now, obviously, we need good laws. But you don't want the government to say, you know what? You have too much money. Or you know what? I don't care if you've been working and saving for all these years. You, don't, you shouldn't have that house. You shouldn't have that. You, you're, you shouldn't be able to save money like that. You shouldn't be able to pay that tax rate. Um, you should pay more. We don't want the government making those choices because it's never going to be fair and equitable. We don't want to use the power of government to take things from our neighbor or our, 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 our person that we hate or want to vilify because if the government can do that to them, they can do it to you. So we need better messaging. We, we do. We, we need more communication. And I know this is an unpopular thing 
to say for a lot of people, they really feel it's a personal attack, but it's not. I'm speaking from our own personal experience here. What we have to do above all things, if we want to change the direction of this country is as Christians, we have to start making whatever sacrifice we have to make not to have our children in these government run indoctrination camps. And if you're a public school teacher and you're not one of those people, then I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking about you. But for the most part, most of these suburban and inner city schools are all teaching the same curriculum, which is anti-American and anti-Christian. And that is seeping into our kids. They're there longer than they're at home with us. And they're learning things that are detrimental to the maintenance of a constitutional republic. And we're seeing that already with this current generation. They don't have enough money to get married. They don't know how a family works. And a lot of them have been raised outside of church. So they can't see the truth. They can't hear the truth because they've been raised to be repelled by it. And, and how do I know this? I keep going back to that panel, but I was quoting statistics on the panel and they were saying, well, how do we know you're telling the truth? And I said, well, that's a, I got that information from a government website, from the Department of Justice tracks the, the statistics on gun crime, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we don't trust the government. I'm like, but you, you just said you want the government in charge of health care. These were people who were literally arguing with me from both sides of their brain. They were really they were arguing with themselves because I, I don't have any reason to make up statistics on guns. I don't have the time to make that kind of stuff up. The truth is anathema to people who are deceived. They're not going to willingly take it. It's like trying to pour medicine down a dog's throat. They're never going to take it willingly. You have to wrap it up in some meat. That's what we're going to have to do with the truth with these people. Wrap it up in something that they like so they can understand it. It's we, we got a message better. We have to start someplace. So I'm going to hear the music. That's it. That's the show. OK, Thursday. So I'll be back with you tomorrow. Lord willing. You guys, good night from the heartland. Enjoy your evening. God bless. <laughs>